This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. I hope you had a scrumptious Thanksgiving. The plan in my family was to take a river walk with all the dogs and then have cheeseburgers and a baked potato bar. I'm just not fighting it anymore. I love big traditional holiday tables and meals with candlelight. Nobody else does. So it's cheeseburgers and baked potatoes. And that's just the way it is. I have another dear, dear friend spent the holiday alone with her dog. Family is here and there. Friends are here and there. She could use some peace and quiet. So she claimed that for herself. Everybody's holidays look a little bit different, but we have to do what works for us. And everybody's lives looks a little bit different too. But we can all learn from the stories and lessons in each other's lives. And that's where we are going today with Rosemary Schmidt. Rosemary wrote a book, The Happy Clam, researching little ways to make life a little bit better and also sharing some of the life lessons from her own life. We all get to the place where we're dealing with things we never expected to be dealing with, maybe find ourselves a little unprepared, but yet we find strength and wisdom from all that we go through and from the people who help us through. And I am intrigued by the beautiful photo on the cover. It's a picture of a woman who could be in a track event about to jump a hurdle. And the feeling it gives you is one of confidence. Perhaps this woman didn't realize she'd be jumping hurdles, but it appears she's put her mind to it and she'll be successful. Tell me about that picture, Rosemary. This is a painting actually by Carol Ost, and the title of it is Fearless. And in in a lot of ways, being happy is also about being more fearless and uh, and just going forth in the world. Um, I saw the painting at a gallery, Left Bank uh, Gallery, down on the Cape in Wellfleet, and just uh, is one of those things, it's like, oh, I didn't get it the day I was there, but then when I got home, I'm like, oh, I really want it. If I call back and they don't have it, I'm going to be really upset. So I called it. I called and wound up getting it. And it made it onto the cover of the book. (laughs) Yeah. And you had to get special permission for that, I'm sure. Yes. Yes, of course. Of course. And so I was really lucky and fortunate that Carol was good with uh, having it on the cover. How fearless did you have to be to share so much of your personal life story in in this book? It's uh, it's true, actually. I remember thinking at one point, holding it and going, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Did I just publish my journal? Did I, did I really mean to do this? I don't think I thought about being fearless as it was just part of the story and it was very cathartic and, you know, share the stories of, like, losing my sister and, and some of the experiences with my mom suffering, you know, from dementia and navigating that unexpected terrain. I think I described it like, a you know, going through a fun house minus the fun because you just never knew what was going to be at the next corner. My girlfriends and I were having this conversation just last week that um, you get to a stage in life where these unbelievable 
unbelievably challenging things that we absolutely never thought we'd encounter start to happen. And we're all quite sure there should be a high school course in, <laughs> in what to expect when uh, you grow up and you find yourself uh, taking care of people and, and taking care of, of your own self. So what parts of that story do you want to share with us today? I'll put it in context just to kind of speak to, you know, that, like you just said, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're dealing with all of this. But if it's any consolation, after 50, things get better. It's been pretty well established out in the world of research that happiness has a pretty reliable, usual trend through our lives, and and it reaches a minimum at about 50, and then it starts going up again. And you can imagine it, like right now, as you said, everything that people are dealing with, you know, pressures of aging parents, growing children, and increasing responsibilities in, you know, the world of work which is a good segue to some of the stuff I, you know, I can share. Unfortunately, my sister's passing, she had health problems. I mean, she she was given like 50-50 chances of, of living to survive to be three years old when she was born. Mm. And um, she was born with a congenital heart defect, one lung, and she was an amputee. So she had a lot of health challenges from the get-go. Again, there was me, born healthy, and just why, right? Why am I lucky? Why was she unlucky? There's, you know, that dynamic. And the expectation of like, well, what can I do, right? I can't completely fix her. I can't give her a new heart or lung or any of that. But what did she want? She just wanted companionship and for me to be there and everything that I could do. But a lot of where this book came about was the last three years of her life, and I didn't know it, coincided with my first three years as a supervisor where, you know, everything went into warp speed and working, you know, crazy hours and a lot more stress, as you can imagine. And that was kind of the origin of some of my initial research on, like, how you can be a little bit, even a little bit happier. And there were things I didn't really learn until even at my sister's funeral, you know, talking to others in her life and stuff that she never looked at others and and it said, why can't I do that? Somebody had asked her, well, don't you compare yourself to others and don't you wish you could do this or that? And she said... Well, you know, when you look out the window and you see a bird, you get upset that you can't fly. And that was kind of, you know, her reaction to the world. So I realized a lot of that stuff that was, it was my stuff, not hers. Ah, right, right. How old was she when she passed? 50. Wow. Yeah, she had a child. She had two grandchildren. She had a very, very full life and. And she was amazing. She got a certificate in substance abuse counseling. She also volunteered at the crisis line. And so, you know, she would take calls from people who were in crisis, you know, that were contemplating suicide Mm -hmm. even. And uh, she could talk to anybody, and she did. Even at her wake, this woman walks in, and we're like, do you know her? I don't know her. Who is she? And we go to talk to her and find out she was my sister's taxi driver. She just felt compelled to come out. She read the obituary, immediately recognized who that was, and she just felt like she had to come. And that's the connection my sister made with people. What was your sister's name? Angie. Angie. I didn't know the research about that happiness plateaus at 50 and then increases. Was that a surprise to you? It was kind of like, oh, wow, well, this makes sense now. (laughs) And it actually declines from your younger days. So it's, like I said, it's actually smile-shaped. It's like a lot of things clicking into place, like, well, no wonder. (laughs) I wish 
somebody had told me this. Mm. I wouldn't be so upset if I knew that I should be expecting this, right? What did you say? <laughs> Our happiness is smile-shaped. It starts out like a grin, higher. higher, goes lower, and then goes higher again. Yeah, yeah. So 50 is not just a plateau. It's kind of the low point. And that's also the same age that many people start dealing with things they never thought they'd deal with before. Maybe those two things, (laughs) maybe one is the cause of the other. But I'm grateful to have a little insight into the happiness research. So you did research into happiness, and you also have this wonderful uh, sister to learn from as well, right? What else did you learn from Angie? Many words of advice that I could apply in like my role as a supervisor, like in the way that she said, you don't look at the bird and wish you could fly, you shouldn't look at others and, and say, well, why can't I do that? It was a really good life lesson to focus on what people can do. Don't focus on what they can't do or what they don't do well. Put your energies into their strengths and growing that. And that's kind of one lesson as well as meeting people where they are, which she had to apply all the time as like a substance abuse counselor or in her volunteering with the crisis line. Where is somebody right now? You, you can't talk of some future of, you know, white ticket fences and everything. It's just too much to dream. It's too far. It's too much to imagine. You have to look at where they are right now. And for somebody in that situation, one day of being clean, sober might be a hard enough challenge. Now, your background, isn't it originally in geology? True. How did you pivot from geology to inspiration? I think I, I like to use all, all the parts of my brain. You know, in college, I actually started as an engineering major, struggled with calculus. I was briefly an, an English major, actually, and then found geology. Because I, I do like the science. I, I like to be outside. I unfortunately found out I still needed to take calculus after all of that. <laughs> but when I was at the University of Dayton, I was really given a unique opportunity. I submitted a sample column to the campus newspaper. I had this itch to write. I always wanted to write. It was kind of unheard of to give a, you know, a weekly column like that to you know, somebody who wasn't a journalism major. And so they, gave it the, they, they picked me. They gave it to this unknown you know, geology major. And that's where I, I got kind of the, the, the habit of thinking of ideas, writing them down, and I had to write to a deadline. You know, my, my column was due at noon on Sundays, and sure enough, I'd type it up, slip it under the door at noon, and, and then it would be, you know, now what, right? Begins a new week, fresh piece of paper. Now, you know, what am I going to write about this week? And, I, and I, I didn't know necessarily at the outset, and reliably, though, I'd come up with something each week. And different topics, not just geology. Oh, right. Yeah, the column was not about geology at all. It was just uh, campus life at Thread. So now you're writing many years later the book The Happy Clam, and you say in the book, when things aren't going well, you can still find ways to move the happiness needle a little bit. Talk to us about that. The, the first half of the book, I would say, is kind of focused on what are these little tips, tricks, advice from the world of research. You know, you can make minor changes in your environment, in, in your setting, in what you do each day, how you eat, how you exercise, to, to move the needle a tick or two. So from things as simple as your surroundings, your physical surroundings, because we really, we, we are literally, we are as impressionable as, as jellyfish. It, we, we, are, we think we, can, we, we have all this and we're humans and we're rational beings, but we, we are shockingly swayed. Paint the walls yellow, for example. Have some, you know, mint tea if you want to focus. Lavender is calming. Singing, smiling. It, it's kind of wild. Something physical. Now, you think smiling would be the result of, you know, a reaction to something. Oh, I'm happy, therefore I smile. 
But in fact, if you smile, you'll feel happier. It's kind of crazy that when you move those muscles into the smile shape, it, the body actually releases those, you know, the good stuff chemicals that make you feel better. I thought it was pretty pretty wild. Yes, it's something we talk about a lot here on Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show. We often say your big fancy brain has no idea when you're faking a smile. It will, your body will start to create the uh, chemicals that support well-being just because it's getting the, the feedback that you're smiling. So it, oh, she's smiling. Turn on the happy sauce. Something good must be going on. So yeah, you can use smiling as its own meditation. Uh, I do love that. It's it's great. I sometimes practice it in the car, especially when I'm going somewhere I don't want to go. I'll mm-hmm. just smile all the way there. <laughs> <laughs> and laugh, laugh, and laughing is good too. It does it does the same thing. And it was funny when I first read that article. I'm like, what? Again, the early days of being a supervisor, I went to smile, and it was like, oh my gosh. Has it been this long since I've smiled? (laughs) Tell us about your journey at working as a supervisor and how that affected your life. The thing about being a supervisor is there's a lot expected of you. It's funny, they say, you know, oh, it's lonely at the top, but I would argue it's just as lonely, maybe even lonelier in the middle. That loneliness factor is, is dangerous because having connection with people is kind of that protective uh, shield for us mentally, emotionally. And so I think that's, that's one aspect of it, the, the expectations. Again, you know, going back to Angie's advice, focusing on, on what people, what their strengths are and focusing on what they can do. And to go back to the, like, the first book I wrote about rugby, in the same way, you wouldn't find somebody who was really a bad kicker and try to work with them to become just like a so-so kicker. You'd find somebody who's pretty, really pretty well attuned at kicking and then develop them to be a great kicker. So kind of the same thing at, at work. I think sometimes it, we're pressed to work on people's weaknesses and send them to training, and it's just not really going to do much. Yeah, right. I got that. How did a journalistic geologist come to find herself writing a book about rugby? Well, when I was at the University of Illinois doing grad school, it was my second year there, and I was just kind of looking for something to do. And I found the rugby team. It actually came about because I, I didn't have... My roommates were going to do Taekwondo, but that cost $20, and I didn't have $20. So I did rugby instead. So I, I played rugby in grad school. I kind of had a feeling like there was something to be said. There was a story to be told, some, some lessons that could be taken out of, you know, out of the sport of rugby. And I started writing it in, like, in the late 80s. But I also had this um, pesky master's thesis that I kind of needed to finish so that I could actually get my degree, so I had to set it aside a little bit. I went back to it, actually, in the 90s. I needed to kind of redirect my energies. I kind of felt like I was putting all my energy into work. I wasn't feeling like I was able to make the changes I would like to see, so I kind of I felt like I needed to move my emotional eggs out of one basket, and it was great to redirect that energy into the first book, Go Forward Support, The Rugby of Life. And that's all one title, Go Forward Support, The Rugby of Life. What does that title mean, Go Forward Support? Go Forward Support is the cheer for Beantown. I had to come out to Boston for work for a while, and while I was here, I found the Beantown Rugby Club and ultimately decided I would love to be out here in Boston where I could play, I could still play rugby and stuff, and and so I, I moved out here. So Beantown's cheer is Go Forward Support, And what that means is, if you've got the ball, go forward. 
versus sideways or backwards. And if you don't have the ball, you, you go to be there in support. And in life, we need to keep moving forward. And if things fall apart, reach out for our support. Don't run away from our support. So that can happen in the game where somebody's being chased and instead of keeping with their you know, with their players, they run they run away from everybody. You shouldn't run away from your support. And in a kind of another way, I use the term naked and waited in the sense that every day is a fresh day, clean slate, you know, a brand new day, basically, to, you're, you're going forward into it. And yet, you're also weighted. You're bringing every bit of baggage and experience, you know, that you've been through. And that's, it's kind of a yin-yang of being completely burdenless, but still shaped by the entire life of experiences you've had up to then. So I kind of used rugby as a metaphor for that concept. Go forward support. That's beautiful metaphor in there. Um, you mentioned, too, uh, back when we were talking about, you know, how your career got great and now you're a supervisor, and you said it's lonely in the middle. Uh, can you tell us more about what you mean about that? There's a, a kind of a natural distance with your staff. I mean, in fact, you're told don't expect to be friends with your with your staff. That's what they say, and yet, you know, you think, you know, you'd still like to be friendly and have it personable and everything. And and one of the challenges is that the balance, I guess, between recognizing people need their autonomy, they, they want to have a sense of purpose, mastery, and yet there's, you know, the inter- interdependencies. And as a supervisor, you're responsible for everything, you know, everything getting done. And so having everyone kind of aware of everything that's going on is useful because one person picking up a new project may impact others as well. How did you combat the loneliness in the middle? I've found, you know, peers, so other section chiefs, others in my situation, and and those kind of form a support network. And figuring out a way, too, it's important to care, but somehow yet not be overly bothered. If you're doing the right thing, do it and lead and not be overcome by kind of the what-ifs and everything. All right. We're talking to Rosemary Schmidt. The book is The Happy Clam. And why did you call this book The Happy Clam? It's actually an allusion to the way clams feed. They're filter feeders, and so they just kind of dine on what's in the passing current. And in the same way, this began as a collection of articles, notes, quotes, references collected over time. You know, I find something, I jot it down in my in my notebook, in my back pocket. I always have one with me. And so in the same way, it, it's a lot the, about the way the book came together. All right. What is it you would most like people to know about you or your journey or the best advice? What can you share with our listeners today? I would want people to know things can get better. Wherever you are right now in your life, it can get better. There is the power of making small changes. You have to meet yourself where you are. So look at what little things you can do. And the number one biggest, which isn't a thing at all, affecting our happiness, is other people. Good relationships, healthy relationships. And so as stressed as we are, stress and loneliness are are dangerous. They were a public health crisis even before the pandemic. Tend that garden of friends and family. That's, you know, that's what's going to lead to a happy, healthy, long life. 
And so you've been talking about the experiences you're going through and having that network of friends to to confide in makes a huge difference. And having that network of friends to confide in makes a huge difference. Rosemary Schmidt, who wrote The Happy Clam, and we have a copy to give away. If you would like that, let me know through the website, caseysplace.com. And I'll say this too, this season is a wonderful time to reach out and reconnect with friends and family members. It's a wonderful time to tend to the relationships in our lives. The holidays give us an excuse to reach out. And if you don't know where to reach out to, but would like some companionship, you can try A Circle of Women on Facebook. That's where many of us get together on social media. So listening to Rosemary Schmidt talk about her book, The Happy Clam, we can take many, many lessons. As Rosemary said, she likes to use all the parts of her brain. Geologist, blogger, athlete. Be brave. Do all the things you want to do. Small changes can bring big results. Try that smile therapy. It works. From Rosemary's sister, a very poignant lesson. Accept yourself as you are. You can accomplish plenty right now, as is. And I love the rugby lesson. Move forward. Support. If you have the ball, move forward. If you see somebody else has the ball, help them out. And don't run from your support. Run towards it. Things can, and usually do, get better. Every life filled with stories and lessons. For more, visit happyclam.net and check out her blog, too. It's called Rosebud's Blog. Easy enough to find on the internet. And do let me know if you'd like a copy of her book. Casey'sPlace.com. This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show. Thank you so much for listening. We have our retreat coming up in February at the Mariondale Retreat Center. I'm so excited about the guests that we're putting together. But in the few minutes we have left this morning, I thought it might be fun for you to do one of the exercises that we're going to do at the retreat in February. You're getting a sneak peek preview here. But as this is Thanksgiving weekend, here's the exercise you might want to try. It'll take just a few minutes, but you do need a paper and pen. This is like a physical experience. So when you have time, if you can't do it right now, try to do it soon, maybe before you go to bed tonight. Make a list of all the things you're grateful for. Maybe you've done that a thousand times before, but do it a thousand and one times. Make a list of all the things you're grateful for on a piece of paper or in your journal. And when you get done with this wonderful list, hold it to your heart and feel what that feels like to just be holding all the things you're grateful for. You can even just imagine that right now, but you have to do the exercise because there's a very important part too. So once you get done making your list of all the things you're grateful for and holding that list to your heart and absolutely feeling the gratitude, it's time to make another list. And this list is of all the things you want to do in the future, of all the ways you want to use all the parts of your brain. Maybe you want to get your teeth straightened, or maybe you want to take singing lessons, or maybe you want to climb Machu Picchu, or maybe you just, I don't know, want to get away for a day by yourself. Maybe you want to learn a language. Maybe you want to paint the kitchen. This list isn't things you're going to do when you win the lottery list. This is things you want to do right now as you are. Make that list as a gift to your future self and then hold that list to your heart 
and feel that feeling. You absolutely 100% deserve all those things. And all those things are waiting for you to come and get them. So try that little exercise and let me know what you think. Oh, and speaking of let me know, a couple of weeks back on Shine on the Health and Happiness show, we were talking about nutrition with Mira Desi. And we're talking about, you know, like making changes in your lifestyle and reading the ingredients on the package. Well, Violetta called me, you know, my friend Violet, and she told me of an app called Yucca. I think it's pronounced yucca. It might be pronounced yucca. It's Y-U-K-A. And this app, you can just take it around, scan everything in your house, and it'll tell you if it's good or bad nutritionally. I was just so thrilled by that, I had to get the app. And then, because I got the app, I got an email, just one of those promotional emails, but it was from the founder of the app, Yucca, Yucca. Well, she's coming on the show. Her name is Julie. I was like, Julie. Violet, tell me about your app. Now I have it. I have a radio show. Come on, let's talk about it. (laughs) So that's what we look forward to. Julie from the Yucca app. That's one of the things on my list I'm looking forward to. Thank you, Violetta. That was a good one. And now it's time for our thought for the day. Did I tell you I rescued two pugs from the SPCA? Eleanor and Roosevelt? I did. They're amazing. Our thought for the day is from the real Eleanor Roosevelt. Who said... The future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on. Shine on.